Rick Madison here with uh, the Ron Matusi. Ron Matusi, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here, wherever here is. <laughs> now, a lot of people, uh, what was your tenure as, uh, as city manager? How, how long were you with us? I, I was with us about uh, 11 years. 11 years, and, okay. Uh, yeah, 11 years, and I was about 11 years as the director of planning before that. So I've been here since March 1st, 1995. And you are enjoying the heck out of retirement, but retirement has kept you a little bit busy, I would think. Yeah, yeah. It started off nice and slow, like most disasters, <laughs> like, like Jurassic Park. You know, it was always quiet and good at the beginning. <laughs> Uh, and then it got uh, then it got pretty hectic, and uh, now I'm probably way too busy for my own good. So the you know we'll we'll, we'll dive into this. Uh, we, we've got some time together, but uh, you've you've really actually jumped on the consulting train and helped out a lot of. Just name off a few of the communities that have uh, hired you on to kind of help them through some rough spots. Yeah, uh, Summerland, Grand Forks, Greenwood, Village of Greenwood. That was a unique experience. Um, Revelstoke, uh, and uh, currently the Village of Lytton. So, and and <laughs> Lytton um, has is no more. So we're going to rebuild Lytton, correct? Yeah, there's 32 homes in Lytton uh, that okay. are still there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, literally from the ground up uh, rebuilding it. Yeah, it's, so. Uh, Herculean task. Well, and, and you're working with uh, the province, and I know a lot of different uh, departments are involved and ministries, so I, I imagine it's going to be a whole bunch of work, and it's it's a long-term program, I would think. Yeah, like all recovery is long-term. If you ask the people in Grand Forks, you know, it's been four years going on, and they're still doing works, and they're still getting things put together and homes built. It's been four years, uh, and, and Grand Forks still had an administration. You know, they had a functioning local government with a public works department and all of that. You know, Lytton has nothing. In fact, you know, they have a, they have a council, which has to meet remotely. Uh, we've basically had to rebuild the administration, rebuild the policies, rebuild the village itself. The administrative side of the village had to be rebuilt, and it still uh, doesn't have sort of full-time permanent people in place. Uh, we're still contracting. So it's really, really hard to rebuild uh, both the administration, operate, and then rebuild remotely. You know, so it's just had just about every challenge one could imagine. Uh, you know, even even Slave Lake, where you know burned down the, the downtown, it was only thirty percent of the bill, of the city and their town, and you know they lost five weeks of records. Well, you know, Lytton's lost everything. Oh my gosh! So it's. It, it seems like, and, and you talked about it, Herculean task that's uh, ahead of it, but it seems like there's some inroads, and, and, and we'll dive into that a little bit more, but I, I just wanted to give uh, people an overview of, of what you've been up to, because, I mean, obviously, you're not just sitting there at home eating bonbons and watching Oprah. Uh, no, I am sitting a lot, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, no bonbons and no Oprah, no. I can see your influence across the city and, and what, what aspect, and I've always wanted to ask you this question, I've never had a chance to, but what are you most proud of during your tenure? Like what, what were you most excited about seeing to fruition? Because I know a lot of things are always on the horizon. Was there anything that you kind of started 
were able to work on and build on and then and then you get to see it yeah uh different things because different aspects of the job uh you know, and, and again, when I say this, I don't want anybody to say, well, you didn't do that. You know, a city manager is like the conductor of the orchestra, right? He doesn't play an instrument. Uh, <laughs> the only one doesn't play the instrument. And so I, I say this uh, as the city manager, not the guys in the trenches who actually work, rolled up their sleeves and got it done. But, you know, I, I think the downtown and Stewart Park and just walking down the, through the downtown today along the waterfront, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to me is a, you know, I feel a lot of pride and, and building on the great work that Ron Bourne did, you know, with, with uh, you know, the whole Delta Hotel and the walkway and Waterfront Park. So I think we've all done our little piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it'll be up to Doug to do uh, City Park again. But, yeah, I, I think we've all done our little piece. But I'm very proud of the section of the downtown, the downtown itself or whatever that was done under my under my watch. Uh, the building of the Cardington, you know, I think is a proud moment. Uh, um, lots of hostility, lots of people afraid, mm-hmm. lots of anger. You know, and if you go there today, then go to St. Paul Street today and walk by the Cardington and you'll see all of those fears about social housing were really just fear. Um, reality looks quite different. Uh, and, I, and I think the rail trail, which, you know, really... That was just coming up with a concept and sticking a really great team on it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. guys like Derek Edstrom and stuff, uh, you know, and the, the team that worked on it. A magnificent job, a uh, very difficult job, um, you know, working with other jurisdictions and, and everybody. It's still not done, but I think that, you know, that's a proud legacy, which I had a small part uh, by just pulling the team together. So. It's interesting you you speak about um, the right team because I think that's what a lot of people have to keep in mind is is you know and you talk about the the orchestra and the conductor, but I mean getting the right team because I can see with any of those things that you mentioned, there's a, a tenacity that has to happen for any of those projects to happen because there's going to be uh, so-called roadblocks and there's going to be a lot of um, well, research and and a whole bunch of thoroughfares and, and, and a lot of different policy decisions that are going to have to be made at different levels in order to make that stuff happen. It's, and the rail trail seemed like from from point of origin to actually going on it, would, would that be 10 years, 15 years, 12 years? Oh, no, not that, it wasn't that long, but it really was a long time. Just dealing with the railways alone took a lot of time and the, the two levels of government uh, you know, but and the other part, I think, is none of that could have happened, um, you know, without good counsels mm-hmm. who took risks. Because at the end of the day, they take the risk. You know, we, we, we provide a good idea <laughs> and uh, they say yay or nay. And, uh, you know, so I was also blessed with good counsels who you know, really had the foresight to allow us to go out there and try to build a good city. And what I find most interesting about, especially about the uh, the waterfront and the rail trail is it's just one of those things that that brings tourists to brings families together it's activity you know you're able to really enjoy uh, a part of the city that you know i i live in the lower mission and and sometimes you know it's it's shameful for me but i don't get to go down and and see that part of of the city and it's beautiful and and to be able to have i think the goal was more access really wasn't it yeah yeah and, and i think well two things one is 
you know, the whole point of the downtown was to make the downtown comfortable. We're going to densify the, the city center. Then you have to you have to make it a great place to live, you know, because density in and of itself is not necessarily comfortable. So you have to provide the amenities for people to have places to play and walk and whatever. So so some of that was very intentional to build a great livable community. You know, the other part is, I think, on the tourism side, it was never built for the tourists. I think if you build a great city, mm -hmm. it'll be great for tourists. Isn't that right? true? Yeah, that's very true. Instead of focusing on tourism, I think just focus on a great city where people, you know, the rail trails out for tourists. Yeah, but I think our citizens love it. Oh, no, I, I think you're right, too. And and you're if the if the locals love it, then tourists will find it as tourists well. Tourists will love it. Yeah, exactly. And Ron, it, you know, you had a long tenure and obviously there's, uh, I mean, I, I certainly want a, a do-over on certain things in my marketing world. Um, is there anything you look back on and you go, you know what, if I had another shot at it, I'd, I'd like to have another run at that. Is there anything that comes up in your mind that, you know, you'd like to have another another run at it? Yeah, you know, probably a lot, a lot of individual policies that, you know, with the, you know, the, the wisdom of hindsight, you'd look and say, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the, 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 probably the best one for me was the water project, which, in, you know, in the end, I take full responsibility. It's really important that we have coordinated, uh, coordination of our water infrastructure. We had a number of different uh, improvement districts that control various parts of the city. And for me, it was really important in, in the long run uh, that, that that's coordinated. And we can't, have, we need some redundancy. We need to have to be able to move water from Glenmore to city, city to Glenmore and those things, which which uh, we really don't have. Uh, yeah, but I think if, if I had a do-over, uh, I think I'd take the, I'd play the longer game mm. and, uh, and, uh, and play it out over long. Because, you know, we need to do that. We didn't need to do it all immediately. And, uh, you know, so I think, you know, if I ever regret, it's probably that. I think it's, it's an important issue. And at the time we were dealing with, you know, some water quality issues mm -hmm. around the city that were just unacceptable. Um, but, uh, you know, probably taking a longer game would have been a better approach. Interesting, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't uh, age and a little bit of, of, of time give you perspective? Like just give you a yeah. lot more... And I think a lot of times, yeah, we, we maybe think, no, it, there, there, there's a certain timeline I've established in my mind, and that has to be the timeline that I want to work within. Otherwise, yeah, I think some things wouldn't get done anyway. So Yeah, and I think for me it was about the realization that my, my tenure as city manager was ending, and I'm not sure other people sort of appreciated the, you know, the long game and, and how long and really trying to work through it. So, you know, I was pretty tenacious, uh, but, but maybe, maybe, you know, maybe should have taken a step back and, and tried to play a longer game. Hmm. Well, it, uh, it's interesting. Cause I think, especially with the water, um, you are dealing with different levels of government too. Like it's, it's never just municipal. It's, it's provincial is federal in there as well. Uh, federal funding, yeah. Uh, we're certainly working with all the MPs. I, I do think it's ironic, though, that, um, that probably the person I butted heads with the most at the provincial government uh, is the person who hired me to work on Lytton. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at the end of the day, I guess he must have appreciated my tenacity. <laughs> 
Uh, it always comes around, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Transportation, I mean, we're, we're growing exponentially, Ron, and we have, uh, well, if, if some of the stats are correct by oof, 2040, I think we're going to welcome something like 100 and, well, 150 or more in the central uh, Kelowna region, and it might probably more. But transportation is going to become more of an issue as we grow and with more towers set for the waterfront and dense density is is always growing transportation like how are we are we thinking enough now about moving people around the city or because uh, i mean i've heard everything from light light rail systems to of course eventually i would think uber would would come into the city but what, what's your thoughts on transportation because i know you're a you're one of those people that thinks not just about one aspect, but but the ripple effect. So just take me through kind of the ripple effect of of should we be thinking more about moving people around the city right now versus when it's too late? Yeah, I think one of the problems Cologne has always had is we have a uh, we're, we're very spread out. You know, it's part of our legacy. Or we were uh, we've changed. We were primarily a suburban community, and not only suburban but far flung. Right, so. Um, I don't think people meant to, but, you know, I lived in Crawford and I had two teenagers, so I had three cars. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. Um, you know, we've improved transit. Um, plug for my son. He was just a young kid, went around with a petition to get buses in Crawford. I'm not sure they're still there, but, <laughs> you know, so I think we, we improved transit. Um, and, um, but, you know, I think that that is one of the areas. We weren't really a transit-friendly community, right? Transit works great when you're compact. So that proved difficult, proved costly. And uh, our demographics sort of at the, the time went against us, but they've certainly improved with the influx of the university and the impact of the IHA and the universities changed our dramatic, dramatically our uh, our demographics. Yeah, there's no simple solution for for traffic and transit uh, or transportation. You know, I think it, it goes back to lifestyles. Uh, you know, I, I do believe with the advent of, of more mobility through things like, you know, bikes and bike paths and those types of things, you start eroding the problem because as you make safer paths, I have a number of people say to me, I never would have ridden my bike to work, but now that there's a safe corridor, I will. So, you know, I think those things help. Um, we just got to change our, our lifestyle. We'll never build ourselves out of the traffic problem. No city has ever done that. Um, you know, uh, uh, so so you look at a number of solutions like transit, like bike trails, like alternatives. Um, we don't know the impact of the driverless car yet. It could have dramatic impact. How many cars do you need if you just call up something and it pulls up and takes you somewhere? You know, the whole concept of owning cars, uh, you know, will be more probably for recreation. Uh, Uber, uh, you know, as those things. Uh, you know, my son has a car in Calgary, but. He, he takes their car share program, right? Um, so, um, you know, I think that, uh, uh, you know, we're going to have to look at it a lot different than we're seeing it now. I mean, we're just not going to build a road anymore. Like, like you know, light rail, uh, I think we have to protect. And part of the rail trail is actually protecting a corridor for that. That's the whole reason why we got the money. Um, but, you know, light rail serves point to point and you need to have high density at those points. I mean, start looking now in, in Vancouver, you know, where you start seeing the you know, massive development where the SkyTrain goes because it needs that kind of density. Mm -hmm. You know, so until we get it, it really won't be economical. 
So, so I think we're gonna, a lot of things are gonna happen. I think we're gonna change the way we move about in the world more and more. Uh, and um, I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to get used to different ways of getting around, but we're not gonna build more roads. It, it just doesn't work. Yeah, and you're absolutely right with the disruptive technology that's out there with self-driving cars and, and various things that are coming online in the next three, five years. I think a lot of people are, you know, a, a light rail may sound enticing, but I think the cost, the infrastructure, and again, it's very static. I mean, do we go from the airport, university, down to downtown? Well, what about Rutland? And what about, you know, there, there's a lot of different areas. So You need a lot of density at those nodes mm -hmm. to make it economical because it's, it's a point to point. I mean, a city bus can go anywhere. Right. It's not a sexy, but it can go anywhere. <laughs> Well, I like it when somebody else drives. So, all right, well, we're chatting with uh, Ramatusi here back in a bit. Chatting with uh, Ramatusi and and Ron, I wanted to ask this question of you, and, and I know it's a growing concern, but are we able to densify enough in, in an area where a lot of people want to live here? Like it's a beautiful part of the world. Do we do we have enough? Because I, I, I know the official community plan, I think it mentioned something like... Uh, I want to say 400, 400 single family lots, or I can't remember. It was, it, it, it hit a little bit flat. Let's just put, put it that way. And people thought, well, is that enough land for all the demand? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think at some point in time, we have to decide, um, it's, it's a delicate balance. Um, you know, on one hand, uh, you look at the OCP or you look and say, well, we have to control growth. In, in the city, uh, we'll never have enough for the demand. I mean, that just, yeah, we, we, most cities grow because, you know, the sawmill expands and they hire more people and so you need more houses. That's a normal model. Uh, Kelowna doesn't grow that way. Kelowna tapped into some jet street and we have people from all over the world because it's such a wonderful place to live. And, uh, you know, and that's a problem. It's very much like banking. Vancouver, right? I mean, Vancouver isn't a supply problem because people from in Vancouver need housing or want to buy. People in Vancouver can't afford to buy, so they have to move to Chilliwack. So, you know, so we have a very similar problem. And so, yeah, so to answer your question, we'll never really keep up with demand. I mean, there should be some point in time, uh, you know, and, and actually right around now, we'll see what interest rates do. That may slow it down a bit. Uh, but, but, you know, generally, um, uh, you know, there's always a pull into Kelowna. Uh, there's gravity that drives people into the city. And so that's going to be hard. Um, if you control, you know, single family numbers by controlling how much you develop, you know, unfortunately, now the flip side of that is you, you raise the price, right? So it's a commodity. And if you control the, control the supply, you raise the cost, which isn't in anybody's interest right now. We keep hearing that, you know, housing, we're in a housing crisis and we don't want costs to go up. Um, and by the way, I disagree with, you know, the, the notion that, um, you know, local governments are causing, you know, the, the increases in time and delay. I think, I think there are some cases of that, but, you know, I think we com completely fail to see so the role that provincial regulation plays in that. So I just want to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so no, I, I, I'm not sure we could have enough uh, density. So I think we have to to try to balance it. If we control, if we restrict suburban, which my whole career here we had to try to do is try to put in place plans that densified. We used the carrot approach, you know, the stick was high DCCs. Didn't seem to stop it. Um, 
and if you control it, then they just go to Lake Country and West Kelowna. And now people are jamming up the highway. So, you know, it's not a simple problem. If you, you have, we're going to have to look at it as a regional issue in that sense. So we'll have to work together because if control, if Kelowna controls its supply, it just pushes it out to the periphery. And I'm not sure that's good for climate change uh, with all the people stalled on the highway. So you're saying if basically let's look at it from a, from a higher viewpoint of just it's a clone issue versus, you know, we, we do have to look at it as a, a regional. So you're, are you speaking about from Peachland all the way through to to Winfield to Lake Country kind of thing? That's, that's kind of our housing shadow, right? So I think you have to look at it sort of globally. And, uh, and I know, you know, council's trying hard to come to grips with it, but I think when they do, they have to understand that the unintended consequences of controlling supply in Kelowna hmm. uh, impacts, it just pushes the problem out. That, that's the thing you have to balance, and that's why it's it's so difficult. You know, and, and I, I was always faced by, you know, the, the people said, well, just, you know, stop growth. Well, you know, and they, they would point to places like Okotoks. Now, Okotoks stop growth. Yeah, well, Okotoks is a suburb bedroom community. They stop growth. They just go somewhere else. High River, mm-hmm. you know, like it just goes somewhere else. And so it's kind of like a balloon, right? You squish it here and it just pops up over there. So, um, yeah, so so I, I guess my philosophy was always to make, you know, try to make better development, mm-hmm. try to be sustainable in what you build, trying to be, you know, densifying by, by cutting in traffic. So let's densify the downtown and the town centers. Let's try to make better development, smarter development. But by just saying just stop growth, I yeah, I, I don't know how you do that without uh, some very negative unintended consequences. It's that's, a simple answer to a complex problem. That's a very good word, unintended consequences. If you don't, if you don't think regionally, I think you could say, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you and I have had different chats over the years about this, and and it was an interesting. When, when we chatted about the role of the city when it came to homelessness and that the fact that it, it never actually was under the umbrella of responsibility for the city, but it's become one. Um, can you talk about that transition where, you know, because years ago it, it never really fell onto your lap, but then it became such an overriding issue that it seemed to have just been adopted. Can you just explain how that, that happened? Uh, well, I, I just think that the, you know, the, you know, I guess a number of things probably starts off with, you know, federal government cutting back on what they supply in terms of health care that, you know, get lands in the 80s and the shoulders of the province who try to cut their budget because they realize that just the cost of health care alone for the provinces is going to eat up a huge proportion of their budget. So they started doing things like um simultaneously you know uh, recognizing they weren't working you know closing institutions and saying well we're going to come up with a better model we're going to come up with a community-based model which would be better than large institutions where we sent people away never to hear from them again where they were abused and all kinds of bad things happened so you know changing that model was a good thing community-based model is a great thing but the funding never really followed right and Mm -hmm. so so you started to see uh, the beginning of this homeless issue as people who uh, needed help. You know, they were, uh, you know, often there's a mental illness involved. Sometimes it's mental illness and drug abuse. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's a very complex, you know, bunch of 
things happening. Some people just don't have money, you know, <laughs> you know they're, they're poor. And so, you know, yeah, we, we lump them all together, but there's actually quite a cross-section of people who may find themselves homeless from the chronically homeless to the temporary. Uh, and now, so you have that mix, and of course that that's building. Um, and then you, you see the, the same thing that's happening. I mean, you know, people fail to recognize, but you know, when a bunch of old homes in the North End get torn down and now there's a high rise, uh, those old homes were actually providing uh, affordable housing for someone. Right. You know, you know, maybe it was a a group, not group home, because that's, that's controlled, but, you know, maybe it was a landlord who was renting out, home, you know, rooms uh, to people, uh, not the best situation in the world, but it was housing. Right. And, yeah. as, and as, so as we lose... Uh, our housing supply, as rents escalated, more and more people at the bottom end of the spectrum were displaced. And so the, the housing, the homelessness is this combination of problems. It's a combination of us inadequately dealing with mental health issues and addiction issues. And a lot of the addiction issues are related uh, and, and, and just pure pushing people out of the housing market. So you end up with this large collection of people who find themselves uh, uh, homeless. And and I think, you know, at some point in time, somewhat overwhelmed, uh, you know, you know, the province, uh, they were doing things. But I, I'd say in the last number of years, we're really, you know, they're really taking a good shot at crack and trying to deal with this. I mean, this, go this provincial government is, you know, has really done a good job in terms of really trying to deal with it. And, and I just think that they, you know, they, they, the communities were, were brought into the mix and said, look, we'll, we'll supply housing, but you got to be part of the solution. What are you providing? And that was new, right? I mean, uh, you know, local governments were never expected to provide housing. Some right. did. Some right. saw it as something they could do. Uh, but housing was a federal and a provincial uh, jurisdiction, and we slowly got sucked into it. Um, and uh, when, when we saw that you know, the tools we had available, uh, you know, were police and bylaw enforcement and, you know, mental health isn't really a policing issue. No, <laughs> no, it isn't. Issue, right. It's, they're not great tools to solve the problem. Uh, but, but a supportive housing is actually. Interesting. So it, it sounds to me like it, obviously uh, that community-based model uh, really morphed and and then morphed again, and the funding didn't really follow that. So, yeah, this is a it's a complex issue, and it and it seems like it's it's getting more complex because I'm you know anecdotally, it seems like the numbers are rising. So, mm -hmm. well, yeah. and, and I think they are. You know, I think they are. You know, people keep asking those questions, and and of course, people are so much transient, so they'll move to wherever. You know they could they could live. I mean, if I was homeless in Calgary, I'd take the first bus to Victoria too, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. just nature. If I could get there, you know, um, why wouldn't I? Right? Yeah, ocean view, warm yeah. climate. It's it's pretty good. This has come up lately in the uh, in the news, but they're talking about. Gee, should we should we start looking at a municipal force versus the RCMP? And and again, I'm not I'm not endorsing it. I'm not. You know, I'm just saying this is a discussion being had around the table. Um, just curious to find out what, because obviously this has come up over the years during your tenure and, and probably still to this day as a, as a consultant. 
why why does this even why does this get any light i guess is is my question why does that get any light as far as a a viable option a municipal police force i guess yeah well you know i guess we've been we've been lucky um in bc we've had the the rcmp who i believe have provided you know very good service i think um, a lot of people want a, a municipal police force um, because um, they believe they're more accountable, and I, I, I just don't see it. Uh, you know, you have a police commission. You know, politicians can't be involved in the police service by law. Uh, you have a commission; they're arm's length, anyways. And you have a police commission who will make recommendations. I and mean, just read the newspaper of Vancouver and some of these places, and kind of get a real fa- flavor for sometimes the fight that happens between council and the police commission over money, for mm-hmm. example. So, so, so I don't think it's a panacea. I, you know, my experience, uh, we've had some excellent superintendents. They've all been good, but we've had some excellent ones who really, really try hard to to be a part of the community and to to be attuned to the needs of the community. You know, others have been more loyal to E-Division and their, their RCMP <laughs> bosses, and that, that can sometimes be the downside that, you know, when you're the RCMP, you still have a responsibility to the to the force, to, the, to E-Division, to uh, more provincial or national uh, issues that arise. Um, so, so I don't see... And so for us, it had always been economics. You know, it was just a lot cheaper to, to have the RCMP as a local government. That's the sad truth. Uh, with the advent of, of uh, the union, um, uh, then, uh, you know, that's going to change, right? And it's too bad that, you know, that was the reason, but, you know, that was the primary reason. Uh, and, uh, you know, with police unions, I mean, you know, municipal police cost you a lot more and they have unions so they're not unlike the firefighters and they have very well organized unions <laughs> and uh <laughs> so i think you know uh, for for most city managers it comes down to economics so and that's just it is i think what what maybe some people would know is that a municipal police force is not exactly like we dictate how much money they make or anything else it's it's uh it's actually a unionized environment, and and the cost of of setting up and infrastructure and and a whole bunch of other things is probably cost prohibitive. But I, I wanted to get your your thoughts on yeah. that. And and no, uh, I mean, look, look at fire. I mean, whether you're in Kamloops or Vancouver or Kelowna, your fire services are all the same union. They're all paid around the same. It's not like you have differences, and the police will be very much like that. So. Um, and, and in terms of local control, there really isn't nobody, you know, you can't have elected people telling the police what to do. You have a commission. And, and, uh, so that, that's no difference. So, yeah, I, you know, for me, the difference in economics, uh, you know, was, was policing's policing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's good and there's bad police chiefs and there's good and bad superintendents. And, and, you know, that's all there is to it. And so economics was as good a reason right to maintain the rcmp as anything so i'm so i'm guessing you had to pay your own tickets then is that correct always <laughs> even my bylaw tickets <laughs> parking alr is uh it's always going to be under fire let's face it like there's we when when you drive from springfield to the mission especially along ben volan you see all this great swaths of of green 
green acres and and I know people visiting to the city go well <laughs> what about that land and I'm like ALR why is that you know it, it's it's such a balance and and I think you've used this before it's a balance and and why to you is that is that land part of our identity but also something that has to be potentially protected I know there's both sides of that but what's your thoughts on ALR just well, you know, I, I, uh, I'd say the last few years I've come to appreciate it even more. I mean, I've always, uh, I've always seen the ALR as, as part of our identity. Um, when it was put in, it was quite hostile. In fact, when I got here in 95, you know, we were still fighting, uh, you know, we were still fighting the battle. I remember meeting with a bunch of uh, farmers because we were doing an agricultural plan and they saw that as, as capitulation at the ALC. <laughs> Uh, but but I think you know we've learned to love it. There's probably more land in cultivation today than there was when I came in 1995. And I think when you look what happened, you know, so so the argument was was uh, you know food security, and um, you know maybe a bit like the notion of climate change. Uh, it was a it was a concept that you didn't actually see, and you kind of thought, well, it could be true. I don't know. <laughs> we need it. Uh, but I think we saw last. You know, a couple of years with COVID and the disruption of the supply chains and the whole, you know, second thoughts on globalization mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and this whole just-in-time global world. You know, all of a sudden it kind of dawned to me. You know, food security is pretty important, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you know, nothing like a good pandemic and a disruption in, in global food supply to you know now it's in your face and so as humans we're you know, we're pretty good at actually doing something when it's finally uh, you know finally in your face so uh, that's a good point though like i mean the the pandemic did show us that if we don't you know the, the, this just in time inventory is uh, is is fraught with difficulties especially when you have covid and and well a variety of other issues that disrupt the the supply chain and and ALR and as well as Canadian energy but that's something else entirely but I I do think that there's something to be said where the realization we've come to and it and it took a very hard lesson (laughs) to bring us there but yeah you're right it's taught us something about wait a second having this bounty this this harvest here is is actually a good thing yeah, I mean, you know, the, the flooding of the uh, Fraser Valley, you know, that was a big wake-up call, you know. Uh, uh, I think, you know, you talk about that area of Ben Bullen, you know, the, the, the black soil of the Ben, ben Bullen plains in that area, some of the best soils in the province hmm. for market gardening. That's what our earlier pioneers did, right? They were in the market garden. So, yeah, you know, again, I think the ALR is important. I think, you know, not every decision made by various... Uh, land commissions, um, you know, to me made sense, but <laughs> a lot of decisions I made didn't make sense either. Um, but but on on the whole, uh, I think um, you know I think that it's it's serving its purpose. I, I really wish, and I, and you know, we I really believe that at some point in time the province has to do a reassessment of what agriculture means, because mm. I think from when it was put in place. It's been a sea change, you know, how we deal with agriculture, old nature of agriculture. I mean, those were primarily apple orchards, right? And uh, and so I think it's time that we actually do look at the role of the, not to get rid of it, 
but what is the role of the you know, the land reserve and what is the role of agriculture in BC today? I think it's time for a review. Time for a little update. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. So, Ron, can you kind of explain what, uh, and we should have probably chatted about this earlier, but what is the main responsibility or when you when you go into work, what are you supposed to do? Like, what, what is your mandate? What is your job role? What is your responsibility? Which job? Planner. Planner. Uh, you know, I think I think the role of the planner, you know, in many cases, the, the planner spends a great deal of time with what I would call growth management or development management, and um, uh, which is kind of not very exciting, really. Uh, yeah, I, I really think in the sort of the highest level, the role of the city planner is to uh, have both the community and council articulate community values. Like, what's important in this community? What are the things we value? And that could be a landscape. I mean, that could be agriculture. It could be the environment. It could be beaches. Whatever. What are those things we value as a community? And, and then put in place policies to try to protect those things. And and, and 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 certainly, I think if you tap into the right values, you have a lot of people will agree, yeah, those are worth protecting. You know, when I walk down the heritage area, I want a bit of a fight, but you know, does anybody think that walking down Bernard Avenue today from, uh, you know, from Gordon down to Richter, you know, was, was, was a waste? Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, so, so that, that was a community value. Some people in the community thought it was really important not to lose that heritage. Uh, so that community value was put in our planning and our development process and uh, found ways through legislation to protect it. So, so I think at the highest level, the job of the planner is to help the community, not the planner's values, although there's a bit of, always been a bit of that, um, <laughs> but the community's value. Um, and and that community value uh, sometimes articulated through council, the representatives of the community. So and that's interesting too, because you know I've from what I've gleaned is that the the planner, you know, we're, we're talking about roads and infrastructure and services and you know all these, I guess, unsexy infrastructure, but the amenities, the parks, um, the heritage, um, and and you know. Uh, CNC, as far as a facility goes, these are all things that make it a more attractive place to live, but maybe it doesn't necessarily fall under a city planner's responsibility, but of course it's it's all part of the master plan. Yeah, like at the highest level it does, right? Um, other people implement social housing, making sure we have our responsibility. And, and so you always have this, I mean, I, I jokingly aside whose values, I think you always have this bit of tension mm-hmm. uh, between you know the planner the, the person whose job it is to help build a better city and elected people and sometimes the community to to find that right balance between um, what's good for the city today and what's good for the city tomorrow right right in some way this the planner hopefully speaks for the city of tomorrow too right to to preserve those qualities and those values that'll make the city better. And so sometimes there is a tension, you know, and, um, you know, when, when we first, you know, a lot of the first uh, environmental um, policies were put in place in the 1995 plan, there was a lot of pushback. 
you know, they were filling in wetlands. <laughs> we thought it was a good idea, lousy wetlands. Not, you know, but it, but it took planners and the, the predecessor, Larry Foster's, to say, no, no, like, you know, this is, no, we shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, we, we need to, to try to preserve these areas. With a lot of support, by the way, from grassroots organizations and special, special interest groups, but interest groups, you know, trying to do the right thing. So, yeah, so at the highest level, I think the planner is about getting the community to articulate those and, and trying to explain sometimes some of those values and getting them put in place. And so well, there's always been a tension. That's why um, there's probably no position in any city that doesn't get fired more than the planner. <laughs> I, I can see the scars on you, Ron. Exactly. <laughs> So, Ron, you were able to uh, to work within the uh, the bowels of City Hall for uh, for a lot of years. I like saying the word bowels for some reason, but anyway, uh, what is the who was your greatest influence, or who was somebody that um, you know? Obviously, there was lots of great people you came in contact with, but was there anybody that kind of stands out as as somebody you you learned a lot from and and uh, you seem to work well with? Well, I, I can honestly say, I you know, in all my years, I got along really well each. Each mayor I worked for brought a different perspective, and I think we're the you know often we're the right people at the right times. Mm-hmm. Uh, brought something to the city. Uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart been there a long time. Uh, very practical mayor. Uh, you know, uh, was mayor presided over a community that was was growing quickly with a lot of retirees from Saskatchewan. So it was important to keep the taxes down. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I think Walter Gray really ushered in sort of the renaissance of the city. He saw, you know, more than just keeping taxes low. He was quite excited about it, uh, building a, a, a different city, building a, a newer city. I think a lot of other people, you know, Kelowna was good enough. Why would we change? Uh, I think, you know, I think Sharon Shepard brought a very people focus, you know, I think uh, previous councils, um, you know, because they've been through depressions and, and recessions or were a little more get things done. I think Sharon focused us back on, on people and I think that was good. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I think Walter coming back and, you know, really unleashing a lot of creativity. I mean, I think it was a good team because he trusted me and I trusted them and him and uh, and, and, you know, things like rail trails and a lot, you know, a lot of other stuff that got done, uh, you know, really happened. I, you know, I think Walter, I was probably the closest with him. And he's always been a good friend and a mentor. Um, you know, I just, uh, the guy was almost never angry. Uh, he had virtually no ego, which is so rare in elected people. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, it was just about how do we make this a better city? And I just, I just love the way uh, he would interact with politicians. I mean, all the premiers loved him, whether they were NDP or Soul Credit, you know, they all loved him because he was just such a helpful, positive guy. So uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, of all of them, and they all they all were uh, deeply respected. But, you know, I think Walter was uh, an exceptional leader. Isn't it funny, though, uh, and, and I've... I've been lucky to come to Kelowna as a, as a result of Walter, Walter Gray and the radio station. And, and, and it's, it's interesting from my perspective to see a man that, that really didn't wear an ego. Like he was, he was really good at building consensus on, on a concept or an idea. And and that's what I've always valued with, with Walter is it didn't have to be his idea. It didn't have to be, he didn't have to own it. He just wanted the best thing for, for the city. And, and that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, no, he just wanted to solve a problem. He didn't really care who it was. He'd be the first to give everybody else credit, too. I mean, 
And I think that's that's key is is to getting uh, to getting that buy-in. If if you just <laughs> if you can see the you know the the mayor doesn't really care who owns it, then I, I think more good ideas pop up around the table. So so Ron, what what would be the biggest challenges Kelowna faces for the next ten years? And and uh, like let let's pick let's pick three. What would be three challenges that you think uh, you know we really need to look at we need to address we need to start continue to build on well i think um you know i think uh the big three in my mind we're the big three and they still are you know, homelessness housing and climate change and the the impacts of climate change hmm. um, yeah I, I would i would say those are still going to be top of mind for most people um which is kind of funny because of course people will run for election and uh I'm sure they'll come up with some great ideas on how to tackle those. Uh, I don't want to disappoint anyone, but anybody who promises a solution is probably going to be wrong. Uh, I, I think I think those are big, complex issues, mm -hmm. and they're not easily solved. And anyone who says they are uh, probably doesn't understand them. So I think you know I I, I think it's about really. Um, chipping away at them and solving pieces of them and you know dealing with affordable housing to get some of that housing built so that people to get off you know the, the chronically hard to house people that that's going to take a lot more um, federal money and provincial money and programs so i think it's you know real advocacy role there really mm -hmm. pushing to get help for people as a civil society i think that's important that we do that um, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, that's homelessness and, you know, housing uh, is, is uh, you know, I think is very similar. I think, um, you know, we're going to have to come up with, you know, bite-sized solutions to, to housing. Uh, you know, I think Kelowna's done a great job. You know, uh, Ryan Smith and the guys, and, you know, and girls, they've done a great job. You know, they're coming up with, you know, these, these uh, the, 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 I guess they are seven zone that allows, you know, the downtown people to build a you know, very fast track fourplexes on a single family lot that you now have four housing. I mean, those are the kinds of solutions that we need that sort of chip away by providing a spectrum of housing. You know, climate change is, is a lot bigger. Like what is, you know, getting our heads around that, uh, you know, every emergency I've seen, uh, you know, I keep telling people that when you're in the middle of one, you realize it could be a lot worse than you ever imagined. Uh, and so I think up till now, a lot of our, when we look at how do we, uh, how do we build a resilient community, I think we've looked at, on the engineering side anyways, you know, we've looked at 100-year uh, models and 200-year floods. And I think we almost have to move toward a worst-case scenario mm -hmm. <laughs> way of thinking. Makes people very uncomfortable. Um, um, but, you know, I, I, think, I think we need to do that. I mean, you know, the fire in Linden started as a grass fire. Mm -hmm. you know, most of the homes burned because they had firewood beside the house and wooden decks attached, which could happen anywhere. You know, so we have to start seriously thinking about making some changes and modification to, to better um, be more resistance to that in the future. Um, so, so I just think we have to change our mindset and, and start looking at those things. They're going to cost more money, um, but 
are just going to be safer in the long run and, and quit thinking it'll never happen here. I'm sure most people in Abbotsford never thought that that was going to happen to them either. Or let well, I think if somebody would have told me that a cedar shake roof was not the best idea in the upper mission, I probably would have. <laughs> yeah, next to all those pine trees, you mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Ron, we've 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 had some heavy subjects here, but I want to want to touch on a fun one. Uh, your dream concert, past or present? So, it might have been something you've seen, or it might be something you want to go see. But what what is your dream concert? What what's your sweet sweet spot there? Led Zeppelin. Never saw Led Zeppelin. Okay, Zeppelin. Okay. Uh, absolutely. And maybe if you know, if I had one one thing in the present day, I, I'd say Willie Nelson before he dies. <laughs> At least yeah. I, I don't think he died yet. No. <laughs> uh, Willie Nelson before he dies. Didn't somebody buy back his house uh, and let him live in it? Because he was bankrupt or something like that. Yeah, he had. Well, you know, I don't know why. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, oh, Willie uh, never paid his taxes. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> Bit of a free spirit. Nelson is in the grasp of the tax man. <laughs> Does it shock you that Willie and Nelson didn't pay his taxes? No, Jesus. I mean, geez. <laughs> is there anything about that that should be shocking? <laughs> um. Give me uh, your favorite flatbread pizza. I know you're a pizza guy. I know you love homemade. What is your favorite pizza? I'd say what the Italians call pizza rosemarine, which is just salt, pepper, some olive oil, and fresh rosemary. Come on. Simple? Classic. Classic. <laughs> Italian fare. If you go to the beaches and, and the Marques along the, the Adriatic uh, Guys, or vendors are selling that, and that's by far the best. Really? So, uh, on my feed, I don't know if I said it in conversation, but on my on my Instagram feed, I always get the Amalfi Coast. Um, have you ever been? Yes. Is, is it as gorgeous as it looks like in the pictures? It is absolutely gorgeous. It's much nicer than the pictures. The only problem with the Amalfi Coast is it's so crowded. Um, uh, to take a bus anywhere is an ordeal. Like a, you know, a, a bus from village to village, um, you're packed in. If you can get on the bus, you're packed in. And uh, um, we uh, we rode the bus just a kilometer or two uphill to our hotel. It wasn't right in Amalfi. It was like on the road. Uh, <laughs> and I have a picture. They let us off, and I had to go around into traffic. Now. This is a road that doesn't actually fit two buses. So the other bus, which are, you know is right there, would have crushed me, but it stopped. I had to figure out how to open the, the luggage thing, dig out my luggage, close it, walk around the front of the bus, uh, and uh, met my partner on the other side. And uh, there was a wall, and she was standing there, and I had to turn sideways with my suitcases <laughs> so that the bus could leave and then we could walk you know, 25 feet to the hotel. So um, if you think we have traffic problems, go to the Amalfi Coast because then you'll thank God every day. But but having said that, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Okay. I'm marking it down, Amalfi Coast. I'm going. I'm going. Yeah. 
Okay, so so Ron, we're going to chat with you again because this was so much fun. But um, election issues, you did touch on it. Are are you sticking with those those top three for the election coming up that you think are are pr- probably some of the biggest ones that that the uh, the elected officials will have to address? Are you going to go with those yeah. three? Yeah, no, I I would still go with those three. And there may be some local issues or some you know things that crop up from time to time. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I think if anybody actually does their homework, you know, you'll find that by and large our tax rates are lower than most places, given the fact that it's a high growth community. I mean, there, there's different things that people may or may not do, but I think those are issues that people have to run on. And, you know, if I could give people a bit of advice, this is from my friend Allison Habkirk, um, who uh, was a mayor and a planner, uh, you know, and, and she reminds people that, uh, you know, the trouble with election campaigns is you campaign as an individual and you make these promises or you tell how you're going to fix the world. And then one day you walk into a council chamber and, you know, you're, you're one of nine. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're going to move the ball is through consensus and the ability to influence others. And I think sometimes that's a huge disappointment for people who really thought they were going to get in council and do this or do that or build a pool in Glenmore or mm-hmm. you know, create a municipal police force. Um, you might, uh, but you only do it through consensus. And so something to keep in mind. And, and good point. And, and I think whenever I've heard uh, perhaps a rookie on the campaign trail saying, I will do this, I will do that. You always think, mm, hang on there, Tiger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and just, yeah. just to review, uh, if, if you're just tuning in, it was uh, uh, homelessness, housing, and climate change. Those, those were uh, Ron's top three. If anyone didn't catch those off, off the previous one. So anyway, it's it's been a fun afternoon. Thank you so much for sharing the time, Ron. Um uh, as always, I've learned something, and uh, and I so appreciate the uh, the time you gave us. Because I know busy guy, like you're busy rebuilding Lytton, you're busy uh, in Revelstoke right now. I think is that where you are? Um, yeah, I'm I'm helping out Revelstoke. That was kind of a, a, a leftover. I was helping them start on Lytton, and they need a little bit more help, so I'm, I'm trying to help them best I can. Well, listen, we're, uh, we were so lucky to have you in the city of Kelowna, and uh, I know Revelstoke and Lytton and Points Beyond are, gl- are glad to have you. So thanks so much. Thanks, Rick. It's been fun as always.